So today we're looking at 1 Timothy 4, 11 to 16. Paul wrote this letter, as you know, as to be a help and to be an encouragement to Timothy as he was pastoring the church in, in, uh, in Ephesus. And one thing you can tell very clearly from Paul's letters, as well as, uh, as, as you read about his ministry in the book of Acts, uh, Paul had a real love for the local church. I mean, his ministry was just constantly given to starting new churches. And then subsequent mission trips, he was constantly working to strengthen the local churches. Uh, so he understood very well uh, Christ's love for his church and as well as the importance of the church to believers, as well as the importance of the church to the world at large. In 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul gives three helpful descriptions of the church. First, he said the church is the household of God. So the church is God's sanctuary. It's his special dwelling place. And the fact that it's God's household reminds us that we are his family. We are his children. Second, Paul says that believers are the church of the living God, belonging to the living God. So we belong to God. He has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We belong to him. And as his church, we are servants of the living God, not dead gods of false religions and philosophies of men. Thirdly, the church is the pillar and the support of the truth. So God has graciously revealed his word, and as his church, we're called to believe it, uphold it, put it into practice, because we're the pillar and support of the truth. And in this letter, Paul is reminding Timothy of the importance of a local church. Timothy needed to remember that because the church that he was pastoring was dealing with some significant challenges. Paul had left Timothy in Ephesus to deal with men who were teaching what he described as strange doctrines, and a number of those teachers were actually part of the leadership of the church. And the fact that the church is so special to the Lord means that these teachers need to be addressed and need to be corrected. That's going to be a hard thing for anybody to do. So a big reason for this letter is to give Timothy the guidance and the encouragement that he needs to be a faithful pastor in a situation that was very challenging and difficult. The verses that we're considering specifically this morning are really direct exhortations to Timothy. I mean, Paul is making it very clear that there are things that he must give attention to in his personal life as well as the ministry that he has there in the church. So let's read 1 Timothy 4, 11 to 16. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. So you can easily see, I think, in these verses that Paul wants to make sure that Timothy is pursuing the Lord personally in his own personal life. And that's going to be especially important in how he leads the church 
as their pastor. So there is much here that speaks directly to those in ministry, those who are elders, pastors of the, of the church. But I also think it's important to see here that the things that Paul, most of the things that Paul says to Timothy are really important for any Christian. So as we look at these instructions to Timothy, we also need to see how they apply to, to each of us and, uh, what, in, in various ways. First main point is this. Paul's exhortations to Timothy speak of the need for continued perseverance and growth in the Christian life with a special focus for those in ministry. From the beginning of this letter, Paul has spoken to Timothy in various ways really to encourage him. In the greeting, back in chapter 1, verse 2, Paul speaks of Timothy as his true child in the faith. There was no doubt about the fact that Timothy's faith was genuine. He was a true child in the faith, and Paul speaks of him in that way. In verse 5 there in that first chapter, Paul includes Timothy in this when he says, The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So Paul knew all the things that were all these things that were important in Paul's ministry were just as important in Timothy's ministry. The goal of our instruction, you know, we, we, we have the same, the same priorities. We understand this. In chapter 3, Paul gives a list of character qualities that were to be true of those who would serve as elders and as deacons in the church. He spoke of things like being above reproach, being temperate, being prudent, being respectable, being hospitable, uh, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money, talked about being the need for a good reputation with those outside the church. Well, there's no doubt that these things were true of Timothy. I mean, he couldn't require them of others if they weren't in his own life. In the verses that we're looking at today, Paul has more things to say that point to Timothy's good character and encouraging him to continue in that good character. Verse 12, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. It's generally believed that Timothy at this time was probably in his mid to late 30s. Now, that may not seem young to us, depends on what your age is, but it may not seem especially young, but when you consider the situation that he was in, his age could be a factor a concern because it's likely that the ones who were teaching the strange doctrines uh, the ones Paul wanted him to confront and deal with were probably older than him Timothy was new in the church he was there because Paul had used his authority as an apostle to appoint him as the pastor of that particular church so Timothy's relative youthfulness would likely help him feel, cause him to maybe feel vulnerable, uh, maybe inadequate. And Paul's counsel in this verse is really that Timothy's age is not really the key factor. It's the example of his life that's the key factor. And so Paul gives a list of five things that needed to be part of Timothy's life if he was going to be a good Christian example in the church. So as we look at these things, we need to see them as things, really, that all Christians need to focus on. So from verse 12, this next point. To be an example, to be an example of those who believe requires perseverance, 
and growth in the areas of speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. First, there's much in the scripture that talks about speech. Um, We're told, for example, to encourage one another. We're told to greet one another. We're told to be truthful, to be patient, to be kind. We're told to be peaceable, to be prudent, to be self-controlled, to speak wisely, to be willing to even rebuke and admonish if that was necessary. We're told not to gossip. We're told not to make unrighteous judgments. We need to be people who listen well, not just talk all the time, but also be willing to listen. And all those are ways that Christians can be examples in their conduct, in their speech in particular, I mean. But next is the conduct. And conduct kind of goes together with speech because they are both things that are observable, things that you see in another person. Conduct especially just speaks of our manner of life. In general, we're supposed to act in ways that are kind and understanding. We're to guard ourselves from behavior that is like self-centered. We're to be people who can be counted on, people who are trustworthy. We seek to honor God in the way that we interact with others and the choices that we make. All those are things related to conduct. And again, we could say a lot more, but those are just a few ideas. The third thing he mentions is love. This is more of an inner quality, but also shows itself in speech and conduct. So in the first place, we are to be people who love God. We are told to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. And in conjunction with love to God, we're to love other people. That includes being patient being kind, being forgiving, truly seeking to think of others as more important than ourselves. Fourth thing he mentions is faith. This would include having a good understanding of the Christian faith, uh, understanding something of the Trinity, understanding the gospel, being clear on the fact that our salvation is dependent on Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, being conscious of the fact that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And we not only have a good understanding of the Christian faith, but we also live as people who are faithful. So the idea of faith here is not just what you believe, but being someone who is faithful in what you believe. So faithful in our speech, in our conduct, in our love, and so forth. And then finally, Paul lists the need for purity. Be single-minded in our desire to please God to act in purity in relationships with the opposite sex. Purity in life has really has become something of an old-fashioned thing in our culture, but not for Christians. Ministers really then, along with every other believer, are to live as examples in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. None of us do that perfectly, but we're supposed to persevere in those things. We're supposed to trust the Lord to enable us to to grow, to be more Christ-like. Paul exhorts Timothy here in his personal walk with the Lord in another way in these verses. Look at the first part of verse 16. He says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. So, So here we also see this next point. There is the need to give careful attention to yourself so that the things you 
so that the way you live is consistent with the things you believe and teach. Paul has spoken multiple times of the need for Timothy and ministers in general to teach the scriptures. Sound doctrine is supposed to be a high priority. Well, this requires, obviously, a good understanding of the doctrines of the scripture and continued study to to know them thoroughly. I know one thing that I've seen in my life, maybe you've seen it in yours, in many ways, it's easier to study the word of God than to live it out consistently. It's easier also to tell other people how they should live their life without being consistent in making applications in your own life. What that says is you don't have to work very hard at being a hypocrite. I mean, it just, unfortunately, it seems to come pretty easy. I know I've found that true in my own life. And I get the impression from the words Paul uses here that he's well aware of the problem himself. That's why he exhorts Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. What he taught and the way he lived needed to match up. So Paul says, keep a close watch on yourself. Now that may well refer back to what he said in verse 12. Make sure that you're truly showing yourself as an example of your speech and your conduct and your love and your faith and your personal purity. So the idea here really obviously is what we believe has to show itself in how we live. Everybody struggles with that to some degree. We all need to make sure that we are not merely hearers of the word, but doers as well. At the same time, we thank the Lord for growth. I mean, we could all mention things where we felt like we've failed. I know I can. But by God's grace, we can also be aware of ways that we feel like we've, we've, we actually have grown in that area. There are some things, there is good fruit that we can see. So I think there's a, there's an, there's a place for encouragement there also. But there's always room for more growth in godliness. Well, it's these basic truths that are foundations for the exhortations that he gives also in these verses. So our second main point is this. Ministry to others that glorifies God flows out of a life that is faithful to the Lord. Paul's not content with just giving Timothy and others a job description without talking about the life and the heart as well. So as we look at these specific instructions, we see them as things that are consistent with a life that honors the Lord. And the first thing Paul does in these verses is emphasize something that really he said multiple times already in this letter. So point A, ministers are to both warn of spiritual dangers and teach about what the scriptures say about true godliness. Verse 11 is very direct to the point, prescribe and teach these things. Prescribe is just the idea of speaking of transmitting a message from one to another. Uh, It's to instruct, to command. Well, the warnings that Paul has been laying out for Timothy need to be prescribed to the church. And the way Paul continues to repeat them points out how vital they were. Jack in chapter 1, verse 3, Paul said in the opening of the letter, Timothy was to urge certain men not to teach strange doctrines. He warned at the end of that first chapter 
about how people could suffer shipwreck in regard to their faith if they end up rejecting sound doctrine. In verse 6 of chapter 4, Paul told Timothy he would be a good servant of Christ Jesus if he would if he clearly pointed out the dangers of asceticism that he was talking about. In verse 7, he said that one should have nothing to do with old wives' tales. They just serve to get people off track. Well, these are things that Timothy was supposed to be faithful to prescribe to his congregation. Even more than that, he was to be faithful in teaching sound doctrine. He needed to emphasize the fact that godliness is profitable for all things, both in this life and the life to come, like we looked at last week. And because that's true, we are to be constantly encouraged to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. So it was Timothy's job and the job of every minister for, to prescribe and teach these things. This also assumes, as we make other application here, that those who hear the teachings have ears to hear and make application in their life. The next thing Paul emphasizes to Timothy is this. Ministers are to be sure that the scriptures are read, that they are read in public worship and expounded upon as well. So after charging Timothy to be an example in his life of those who believe, he then gives another exhortation in verse 13. He says, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Now, in American Standard that I'm using, the word public is in italics. So that means it's not literally there in the Greek. It just says, give attention to reading. So this could be, this could be Paul making sure that Timothy was giving attention to reading the scripture in his own life. Again, another personal application. I mean, one thing we'll see as we look in the, in the verse, the next verses after this, God had given Timothy a, a gift, a spiritual gift in really a, an extraordinary kind of way. But that did not mean that he was not to actively pursue the Lord and study his word to use that gift in the best possible way. I mean, ministers along with every other Christian need to give ample time to reading and studying the scriptures. Nobody will actually really grow in their faith apart from a regular diet of the word of God. So there is a personal application here. But most people think, and I would agree, that when Paul told Timothy to give attention to reading here, I think he's talking about reading scripture as far as a public reading, something to be done in the time in the worship service. This was, would not be a new thing. I mean, there's multiple examples in the Old Testament of seeing the law of God being read to the people to hear. You see that several places, Ezra and Nehemiah stand out especially, but the Jewish synagogue system included regular readings of the Old Testament scriptures. And we also see in the first century church that they would read from the letters of the apostles and the gospels. A couple examples. Colossians 4.16 speaks of Paul's letter being read to the congregation when they gathered. Uh, he also tells the Thessalonian church to read his letter to them when the brethren gathered. So in this word to Timothy, Paul exhorts him to continue to give attention to the public reading of Scripture in the times of worship. So 
that reading of the worship of the word of God is, is still important in the worship services. It's clearly something God desires his children to do when they gather for worship. And that's why we have several times in our worship services when the scriptures are read. Well, then Paul also exhorts Timothy to exhortation and teaching. In other words, in addition to the scripture being read, it also needs to be expounded upon. There need to be biblically-based sermons, teachings that are also included. Now, to note here, this seems to be the opposite of what the false teachers were doing. As we've already seen, they were giving attention to worldly fables, to myths, to endless genealogies. That's what they were focusing on. Well, in contrast to that, Christian worship needs to be centered on the Word of God. And this, this verse really helps us to see that. The third thing Paul exhorts Timothy about had to do with using his spiritual gift. So this reminds us next that the Lord gives spiritual gifts to his church and ministers, along with all believers, are to use them in ministry to others. So verse 14 and 15 says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. So as Timothy is dealing with a difficult responsibility in pastoring the Ephesian church, Paul reminds him, God has gifted you for this ministry. Um, so th this should actually give him some confidence there. At some point in Timothy's travels with Paul, probably pretty close to the beginning, Paul, along with local elders church, uh, of the church, laid hands on Timothy, prayed for him in regard to the ministry that God had for him. He referred to it back in chapter 1, verse 18. There he says, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. He speaks it again over in 2 Timothy 1, 6. I know it's there. 2 Timothy 1.6 says, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Well, all this had to do with Timothy's calling and giftedness to be a preacher of the word. In Ephesus, where he was at the time he received this letter, he was serving in the office of pastor-teacher. Since Paul the... Since Paul the Apostle was a part of this time of setting Timothy aside for ministry, there were some prophetic utterances that were made concerning Timothy. We don't have apostles in our day any longer. So this aspect of the calling of minister, I, th I think, is not would, not would not particularly apply. But instead, as we've noted, there are three aspects to a man's calling to serve as an elder, a pastor of a local church. First, there's the personal calling, described as a holy desire for the office of elder that is seen in 1 Timothy 3.1. Second, there is a life that is described that is above reproach in verses 2 through 7 of chapter 3. And then, uh, and then here in, even, in, even here in chapter 4, it's uh, summed up in those categories of speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. The third aspect is that the local congregation recognizes, recognizes God's calling on, on the man 
sees the character and receives them specifically to serve as the pastor in their congregation. So Paul, I think, here wants Timothy to remember that the success of his ministry is not based on his personal skills, his personal talent, his personality. God has gifted him and given him the strength that he needs. But it's also true that Timothy needs to be sure that he doesn't neglect what God has given him. He tells him, don't neglect this ministry. You must use your gift and do what is necessary to grow with the gift that you've been given. Paul tells him, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in what God has called you to do. And then the idea then is by God's grace, you will grow in the way that you pastor and teach the church such that the congregation itself will even take note of it. Well, Paul is here focusing on the gift that God has given to Timothy. He wants to encourage him in a hard situation. But I think it's very important to remember that every Christian, every Christian is given spiritual gifts, gift, plural or singular, to actually serve within the body of Christ. Besides the gift of pastoring, which is a gift, there's also the gift of teaching. You don't have to be a pastor or a minister to teach. There's all kinds of ways teaching can be used in the body of Christ. There's the gift of exhortation. This is especially helpful in giving personal encouragement and counsel to others. There's the gift of mercy. Uh, Boy, how we need more and more people with the gift of mercy, the ability to actually come along people who are hurting and struggling and really give them help and encouragement. I mean, that gift of mercy is so vital in the church. There's the gift of service. There are people who seem to have a real spiritual knack of seeing things that need to be done and doing it. I mean, the church would be in a world of hurt without people with the gift of service. Let me also mention this, though, because I think this is one of the real irritants to those who have the gift of service, is that just because you think your gift is not service doesn't mean that you're exempt from helping in practical ways. So <laughs> we have to keep that in mind. There's also the gift of organization. I mean, these are people who are able to organize, to think through things in such a way so that they work smoothly. Now, there's other things we could say as far as, as far as spiritual gifts are concerned. But I want to remind you of this. When Paul speaks of the local church as a body, as he does in a couple places, we're going to read some verses here in a moment. When he talks about the church working together as a body, that's in the context of using our spiritual gifts, working as a body. So I want to read this section that you're familiar with, but uh, I think it would be good for us to read it here. 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm going to read 14 all the way to verse 26. Paul says, For the body is not one member, but many. The foot says, if, if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason, any of the less a part of the body. If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason, any of the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. 
If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. So, that there may be no division in the body, but that, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. I mean, this is just, this really is just so important. I mean, the Lord gives spiritual gifts to his church. Ministers, along with all believers, are to use those gifts in ministry to one another. And I think like Paul says here, and it applies to all of us, we have to be careful, don't neglect them. Don't neglect the gift that God has given us. Finally, Paul brings all this teaching down to how it ties into God's gift of salvation. He makes clear to us this final point. Salvation is the gift of God's grace, and all who are truly saved will use the means, the means he has provided, and persevere in their faith to the end. Verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. So Paul, again, is exhorting Timothy to give careful attention to himself so that the way he lives is consistent with the things he believes and teaches. And, of course, that's counsel that every Christian needs to follow. It's a big part of really how we persevere in the salvation God has given us. In fact, God says, as you persevere in these things, you will ensure salvation for yourself and, and for others. So what does he mean by that? Well, like all other believers, Timothy must pay close attention to sound doctrine. The basics of the gospel must be before us regularly. We've got to pay close attention to this doctrine when we remember, for example, that there is one God who is holy, just, and righteous. Remember that he's the creator of all things, including ourselves. We also remember, a part of this sound doctrine, that we have fallen far short of what his holiness requires of us. We're all sinners. We're not able to change that ourselves. We're not able to pay the price that God's perfect justice requires of us. So we are all doomed in that sense. We are all condemned. But we further remember that the Son of God took on human flesh, came into the world, to earn salvation for sinners. He lived a perfectly righteous life. He died that sacrificial death. And as the perfect Lamb of God, he paid the price for our sin. He was resurrected to fully accomplish the salvation for all who would believe. And then we remember, as part of this sound doctrine, the gospel, that it's the Holy Spirit who makes it clear to us that we are sinners. He makes it clear to us that we can never be good, good enough for God. No matter what we do, the Spirit then gives us the ability to turn from our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we're saved then by His grace. That all that ties into the doctrine of salvation. 
So we've got to pay close attention to that basic, fundamental teaching. We also remember those who believe will pursue godliness in their speech, their conduct, their love, their faith, their purity. And those who've been born again will live a life of increasing godliness. All those who are truly saved are going to persevere in their faith to the end of their life. Taking advantage of the means of grace available to them. We've talked about the importance of the scripture, of prayer, fellowship of fellow believers in the church. And as, this, and as continuing to use this means, this is all confirmation of the salvation. We know we can't save ourselves. We are saved by the grace of God. But we also know that who, those who persevere in the faith will persevere in salvation. So when the pastors, when the congregation as a whole persevere in these things, salvation is ensured. Salvation, really, in many ways, is confirmed. Lord, we want to thank you for your word. Again, we thank you for the encouragement that we are given to make sure that what we believe and how we live is consistent, uh, to continue to encourage us toward godliness that's, that's consistent with the, with the fact of who we are as Christians, with what the gospel is, that we live by grace. And thank you for the encouragement to persevere in these things. Thank you for the reminder of the spiritual gifts that you have given us to be able to serve others and we can all give multiple, just dozens, hundreds, thousands of examples of how other Christians have meant so much to us in our life because of something they said, because of, the, because of their example, because of something they did for us. Just so many things that other people have done for us, and it's as God is working in their life through their gift, ministering to us. So we thank you so much for the way you have placed each member in the body for that purpose, so that we can help and encourage one another. If you're one who's never put your faith in Christ, I would invite you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. A prayer like this would be, be helpful. You can say, Lord, I, I have sinned. I have not measured up. There's something in me in many ways that just feels kind of opposed to you and opposed to your way. Uh, but I know that's wrong. I know that's sinful. So I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to commit my life to him as the Lord of my life. If you want to talk in more detail about that commitment, you can make a note on your tear-off. Those who are watching online can reach out to us at the website. It is in the name of Christ that we pray.